The programme which follows is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. Good afternoon. You are listening to Isotopica here on Resonance 104.4 FM. My name is Simon Tishko, and today we have yet another Sonic Detour. And this week... Whatever a sonic detour is, I don't know why I say that. It was something I thought about a long time ago. But I digress because today I have a very special guest conversationalist in Lillian Lin, who is a prominent American-born artist who's been practicing since the early 60s and is considered one of the pioneers of kinetic art and frequently crosses that barrier between art, science, technology, Eastern philosophy and female mythology. Um, I met Lillian in her rather lovely studio in North London. I've been to North London finally. I've heard about it so often all over these years. I finally got there. Um, during today's conversation, I've had to really brutally edit it down because we actually talked non-stop for almost three hours and really interesting conversation too. We looked at various of Lillian's projects and I was introduced to Lillian through an old professor of mine, Professor Dante Leonelli, who hopefully will be a guest on the show one day. And I was invited to take part in one of Lillian's classic set pieces, which is called The Power Game, which was first performed at the ICA in 1970. And there was a recent uh, version of the game at the Zabrudovich collection. My pronunciation, excuse me. And The Power Game is based around Shaman the Fair. Uh, Lillian's father was a gambler and Lillian spent much time around such establishments in very glamorous sounding early life which Lillian talks about in our discussion. The Power Game is based on Shaman de Fair and instead of numbers the cards are words and those words have to be voted on and defended as being the most powerful. Now during this game, of which money is actually state, an amazing dynamic developed. It's a classic piece of social experimentation, of performance art, of kind of group intervention in fact. Um, there's links to the power game, which will come later on in the show. And also Lillian's going to be talking about a recent collaboration with some scientists from NASA where she has effectively stopped the sun and created new stars. And I really do suggest you follow the links and have a look at some of the images because it is a stunning piece of work. Anyway, I am babbling on. It's far more interesting. We listen to Lillian. So pin back your ears and let's dip our toes gently into the world of Lillian Lynn. Well, I think, you know, uh, I don't know what to say to that. There's not much to say to that. It's just nothing much to add to that. I mean, I think artists' sense, in the best sense, can become philosophers in the philosophia, you know, mm. in the sense of uh, trying to understand reality, understand the world around you. And, and then through, what I think the difference is between, and it may not be such a big difference, let's say between art and science or art and philosophy, philosophy is even less of a difference, but is that an artist does it subjectively, subjectively, you know, mm. you renounce subjectivity mm -hmm. if you're an artist, or at least a lot, I certainly do, <laughs> you know, I know I'm not objective, Mm. And um, although I try my best to understand reality as objectively as I can, but I also know that everything I do is completely 
subjective in mm -hmm. the sense that it's always coming out of my brain. The filter. My brain mm. having absorbed everything else, everything around me. Mm. So other people's brains too, other people's ideas, thoughts, everything. So there's this dialogue, constant dialogue going on. But at the same time, I'm filtering it through the filter of all my experiences. Mm. And that filter is unique. Right. Now, does a scientist do the same thing? I don't know, really. It, it's not, nobody's really put it to a, 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 an objective study, <laughs> an analysis. It, it may be not all that different, except that, um, except perhaps the the uh, uh, the objective. In other words, the goal is different. Mm. You know. Um, and the teaching is different. How about, from what you're saying, I'll put this idea that what you're doing with your work, as a scientist, one of the things I love about science is the, the idea of the experiment, which didn't always exist. There never used to be this way of let's test no, something. Let's test. Rather than going, we, we think it's that, and yeah. it probably is that. How do we test this? How do we find out if it is that or not? And so, as an artist, and as you're doing with your experience, you're filtering and you're testing and you're presenting the results as your artwork and things like that. And that's... Yeah, but it's different. Of there course is, it's different. There is a, there is a, I mean, I've been working with a scientist uh, now for seven years. Uh, obviously, it's not an everyday thing, but mm. we've been working together on a project. Wonderful. And it's amazingly different, mm. the way we think. I mean, certainly the way I think and the way John thinks, very, very different. What's the project that you're working on? Or well, the project is Solar Hills. Okay, tell um, Solar Hills is basically, it's a project with the sun. Mm. And uh, what we're doing, uh, if you like, it's almost like drawing with the sun. But uh, it, on a very, very large scale. So what we're doing is building a, a tool, an instrument, if you like, mm. that tracks the sun uh -huh. and then refracts it mm -hmm. or disperses it through prisms. Beautiful. Right? And so then we project, uh, we, we project each, each tool, each, each instrument that we have, and we have a number, will project one large rainbow, and we can project it from, let's say, uh, the safe areas about half a kilometer, a kilometer, to about um, 10, you know, 10 kilometers you away. You safe area, it's, if you're Well, if you're, if you're right up against it, it's a little bit too bright. You're yeah, seeing yeah. Okay, too much of the sun. Wow. Yeah. You want to, I mean, I've been like 300, 400 yards, and mm. I, I, I kind of like it. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think we recommend it for most people. What a fantastic scale yeah. to be working on. Where is this happening? Well, we did it, we've done it in, in, um, in Berkeley uh, and uh, experimentally. Mm -hmm. And then we were going to do it and we did some tests in Marseille. Uh, and that was uh, going to be a big, big, a large scale installation on the Mont Saint-Victoire. Okay. Uh, but unfortunately, they, they decided to cancel it, oh. according to them, due to political reasons. But I think it was more due to inefficiency oh, on their sad. part, you know, disorganization, mm. just being totally disorganized. And they just couldn't. It sounds like quite an undertaking, technically an under and scale-wise. It is a large undertaking. Mm. You have to be really organized to, mm. to do it. You know, you have to get permits to do it on the mountain, you know. It's it's big, you know, a large scale landscape. Uh, what is it? I, I can imagine up. this is like container trucks or stuff. Or how is it a big? The actual tools. The no, things? they're small. No. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. So we did it. We did it last summer on the Golden Gate Bridge on mm. both towers. Nice. And we had, but that time we did it with mirrors, so mm -hmm. there was no color, uh, but it was incredible light. And we had um, we had them there for three months, and they because it was the 75th anniversary of the bridge. And we, we could, we, we, we beamed it, we projected it, uh, light, mm -hmm. uh, all around the whole Bay Area. And then we had a website and people could write in, give their coordinates, and we would send it to them. How sensational. So for example, they sent it to uh, San Jose, the, uh -huh. the labs there, 
Now that's what, over 50 miles away, 57 miles away. You know, it's nearly 90 kilometers. I'd love to see the documentation of this. I didn't know it's about online. this project. Yeah, okay. I'll yeah, it's called solarbeacon.com. Okay, solarbeacon.com. That's the light piece without mm. color, without the spectra. Mm-hmm. Um, and is there documentation of the spectra on? Yeah, on my website. Okay. Yeah. Being lillianlinden.com. Yeah, solar, solar Hills on uh, my website. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, we have proposals out to do it uh, in cities and on, in the countryside, you know, in mountains, desert, you know, all sorts of places. But, it, you know, it, it's very poetic. It's very, it's very pure. You know, it is, it's not a light show. No, and it, nor should it be. It seems to me that that seems to be more, uh, you know, more the thing that will grab money. But uh, because this is this, why I say it's not a light show is because basically it could be a light show, but it isn't a light show. It's mm. really uh, a kind of awakening to light. Mm. So uh, when you see it, you might see um, you might see sort of three stars on the mountain during the day. Remember the first time we did the test, we only had one instrument. And John, uh, we found a, a, a hill. It was quite different. It's not all that easy to find the right site because you have to have the right orientation. Mm-hmm. And so we found this hill, and then I was on the road, and it was about three miles away, you know. And, um, and we communicated with... with uh, you know, with um, t- with phone, with iPhone, with mm. portable phone, and um, it was because we we hadn't got it. You know, to get uh, all the cor- the coordinates absolutely right, to get it to aim perfectly, isn't easy. Mm. You know, you have to get all the software absolutely right and clean out all the bugs. And it, it's it's quite complex. So uh, John was sort of there with the uh, the instrument. I call it, I, we call it a spectros. Spectroheliostat. Uh, so he, he was with the spectroheliostat. I was on the road filming and, and monitoring it, and um, you know, with a little camera. And the cars kept on passing. And so when it started working, what it looked like was this incredible sun, really, setting, or rising or setting, I suppose setting, but in the east, at three in the afternoon. <laughs> so here was the sun very small sun or a big star, uh-huh. huge, um, and it was, it changed colors, so sometimes it was red or green or blue, and I could hear behind me uh, people sort of stomping with their cars and saying, look, look, it's the sun, <laughs> look, what's that? You've yeah. recreated the sun. The spe- and then, and then, this, then this couple stopped, I mean, I have that on film, mm. this couple stopped and um, they, they just couldn't, because he was an astronomer, he wanted to find out what this was. <laughs> he said, what's going on? And he said, well, what is this? What's going on? The girl said, is it magic? <laughs> Spectroheliograph. Spectroheliostat. Heliostat. Heliostat means stopping the sun. Okay. So basically what you're doing, it appears to be stopping the sun, but you're not mm. stopping it, you're following it. Yes. Right? Uh, so what we do is we follow the sun, but we also uh, disperse the uh, the beam, the mm. solar solar rays, and then and then the light, and and then we project it very accurately wherever we want to project it. Sensational. So, you know, it's sort of like that, and then that. Mm-hmm. You know. So it sounds to me like this is an idea you've had, and you've got the scientists to facilitate that. Or you see those pieces, those rocks, yeah. those stones with prisms on them. Mm-hmm. Well, I made those in the 70s. Okay. And they are like models for this. Right. Except that when I made them, I, I wasn't thinking of that. I was thinking of what I was doing then, which was putting prisms on rocks. So but, those could be placed outside in a certain time. Oh yeah, they're the placed they're outside just... and then the light comes. But when you think about it, if you if you see the drawings for for this, it looks like that because okay. basically what you've got are these prismatic instruments, mm-hmm. prisms basically. It's co- more complex because they're following the sun mm. um, on 
rocks, mountains, they're rocks, mountains are rocks. <laughs> I mean, when, you, when, you, when you first described it, I, I said needing a big truck, I had visions of this death ray machine, but now you describe, I can imagine the elegance of this small device. Yeah, they're not huge. I mean, Come back to Here's one for Paris because John is very keen on doing the Eiffel Tower. Of course. <laughs> right. That would be wonderful. Yeah, it's exciting. But what we do is not just the Eiffel Tower. Would be see mm. we, that that was what we did this last summer. Yeah. Um, that that was done. That's that an actual photograph. Yeah. Okay. That's a photograph. That's it sensational. Well. There really are stars up there. Oh yeah, they're huge. You know, you look at it, and, wow, <laughs> so mm -hmm. very exciting. Um, These are amazing, and that's a proposal. That's a Bastille. Yeah. Yeah. Are you um, uh, progressing with the idea of doing it in Paris, or is this just an idea We've at the sent it. No, we've sent it to Who's somebody. Who? Well, he knows somebody who knows somebody, somebody who yep. works with the mayor. Complex. It's not. It's a great mayor to be doing it with. He's very amenable, this guy, well, at the moment, I think. This is what John thought. I mean, yeah. I don't know him, so I can't... I can't... I mean, this was... This was, um, this was France. You see, I mean, I've had tons of people because I've been doing it now. Mm -hmm. This was France. And I love the idea of doing it on Cezanne's Mountain. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, that's the instrument. Okay. See, it's... it's I love the diagrams. There, there they are, my team. That's okay. John. That's John the, uh, the scientist. Yeah, he's. they're all scientists. They're all okay. physicists and mm -hmm. uh, astrophysicists. I mean, they work for NASA. That's lovely. Yeah. And then, see, this is, this is a solar observatory built in Peru. I, think, I don't know, thousands of years ago. Thousands of years ago, yeah. yeah. So you've got... Mm -hmm. And this here, that's the impression of it on the mountain. And that's, isn't that it? was when I first started, what, in the 2009, when I, well, actually, before that. No, mm. 2005. I'm not reading okay. it. Right. So that's when I first thought it up. That was what I wanted to do. To have, you know, these, that's why they're very close to the Earth. So it's almost as if star, you know, you're not sure. Do they belong to the sky or the ground. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of doing them in the landscape because of that, you see. Yeah. Uh, but, see, and that is so similar. So yes. That was in Marseille. But um, this is a test we did. And look what it does on the water. That's incredible, Lillian. Changing color. And they That's change color. They yeah, don't stay yeah, the same yeah, color. Yeah, as the movement. And just yeah. like, I guess if you move your position, it changes color? Yeah. yeah. But, but you have to move quite a bit because of the beam's quite really broad, spread. Mm. but what we do is we change the color. Mm -hmm. I have I create scenarios, so choreography, just, okay. and, and change <gasps> it. We just switch the we move the angle just a little slightly. Bit, that's enough to and do. And change yeah. the color. How and so John and I d created some you know some scenarios, mm. choreographies for the light, light and time basically, light and time. Yeah. So this was a collaboration with a scientist. And it was very interesting the way our minds, the different ways in which our minds worked. Mm. And, and, you know, he's very bright. And so, you know, spark off ideas, uh, which, which worked very well. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, there's a kind of a difference in the aesthetics, you know. Uh, you know, the, the, I mean, you know, for example, I mean, I would, I would in the beginning, you know, I, I just said right away, let's use glass. And John said, well, glass is heavy. Uh, if we use plastic, we won't need such a heavy mount, and, you know, it'll be cheaper. And we'll... I said, plastic won't, won't give us good color, you know. Oh, no, well, we could, you know, I can design it. I think we'll... it didn't work. We did the plastic. And it didn't, didn't... work. No, okay, that's the color interesting. wasn't good. It was... yeah. But I knew that from the beginning. I, yeah. I, I didn't need to do it because okay. yeah. I'd already done that. Mm -hmm. I'd already done it before. I've done it 30 years earlier. He wanted the evidence. <laughs> I've done plastic. <laughs> yeah, I've done, done plastic. I've... I see, I noticed all the resin work you've got around yeah. here. 
I've done a lot of work, but that's what I used to do, work with plastic all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, years. And I worked with plastic prisms because they were cheaper. Yeah. And then I found, uh, you know, glass prisms much more interesting. Do you get glass. your prisms made or are you buying them as they I used to buy them more, whole, uh, you know... Boxes. Well, I used to buy prisms from companies that made them for... Uh, firstly, I, the first way I found, first prisms I used, is an interesting, I found by chance. Mm. And that was why I started making these things. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. And uh, what happened was this, I'll tell you the little story. Because in a way, a lot of my work comes from uh, visions or, um, can't think of the word. Um, trying to remember them. Basically, they're like visions. Um, so what happened, uh, how I discovered the prism was like this. I, I, um, I think I already had a prism. No, I didn't have a prism. I, I was working with lenses, mm -hmm. actually, and I wanted to buy some lenses. And I had, somebody had told me there's this photography, photographic shop uh, that sells lenses. Uh, even just um, sort of uh, army surplus lenses, that kind of stuff, or surplus lenses, so you can get all kinds of lenses, not just, mm. I don't mean camera lenses, I mean I understand, yeah, the actual piece of glass. Yeah, yeah, the actual piece of glass. Yeah. Uh, near the Bastille. Right? Okay. And this is sort of in the 60s, and uh, 1960s. And I was living with Takis, who's an artist, um, and uh, so I, I decided to go and get them, and I made the mistake of telling him. And we used to have this strange relationship where you know, he, would, he was like 15 years older than me. He would encourage me, and mm. at the same time be jealous of me. So he would encourage me to do things, mm -hmm. but at the same time he didn't want me to do too much. <laughs> so, so when I told him I was going to buy the lenses, he was a little bit upset for some reason. Who knows? And he said, what do you want lenses for? I said, well, I, I think I can use them in my work. And I remember he was, got very upset and angry, and we had a big fight about this. Ouch. Yeah. And so I, I left depressed, you know, but I decided I'm going to go get these lenses, you know. And off I went. And I went out feeling really black. So it was sunny. Mm -hmm. It was a beautiful day. Mm. Didn't even notice it, you know just focus on get to the Bastille, you know. So I, I get there and there's a very big boulevard and I had to cross the boulevard. And as I was sort of heading, aiming to, this, to the shop, I was across the, the boulevard from the shop, I suddenly had literally my eye, my pupil, absolutely filled with one color, I don't know, blue or red, mm -hmm. yellow. As I moved it changed, you mm -hmm. know. It was just unbelievable. And my whole, it was like my whole head filled with light. And I completely changed my mood. I suddenly became whoop, happy. <laughs> Couldn't care less about the quarrel, about and anything. Was this actually a light from the shop coming out? Or? Well, I, I, I followed this light. I yeah. walked across. Straight to, into the prison. There was a prison yeah, in wonderful. the window reflecting the sun. Mm. It's very powerful, very powerful. Very powerful. Very, very powerful. Mm. It's the sun reflected, yes, through a small prism, but still it's the sun. So you're getting, a, I mean, John puts it very nicely, you're getting a little bit of the sun in your eye. Exactly. Just that little yeah, bit yeah. of the sun. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, natural, it's an actual thing you are yeah, getting. Thing. You're getting yeah, yeah. something, you're getting particles from a of new, energy. From, a, a, from nuclear fusion. Millions yeah. of miles away. Yeah. Exciting. And, and, and particles of energy yeah. too, you know, these little particles of, and, and, and different frequencies mm. because each color is another frequency. So it's, it, it, is, it is quite a, um, an extraordinary thing. And that set me working on, with prisms, and I've worked with prisms ever since. Mm -hmm. you know, it was sort of one of the main uh, areas of my work is with prisms. But oddly enough, you know, my work's has this sort of, see this, that I work in, without talking about writing and video and all that, just talking about the actual objects, sculptures that I make, or the installations, mm. the structures, let's call them. Um, 
It's a, it's a particular, it's a kind of configure, a geometric configuration because I work with discs, so right, the circle mm. discs, spheres, the volume of the ball, right, cylinders, mm -hmm. uh, and then cones, of course, uh, and prisms, mm. all the basic geometric forms, and from them you get all these other forms that come out of them, you know. Uh, parallelograms, uh, yes. uh, whatever, trapezoids. As and, all the colours are in yeah. the white light and all the shapes are yeah. in those there, of course. Yeah. So you, yeah. But th that's where I started and I, I progressed all those, developed all those very systematically developed, well, in my way, systematically, mm -hmm. uh, developed those different, the, that working with, in those different areas. And at the same time I worked with language which I always worked with because I wanted, I, you know, when I was very young, I really was thinking of becoming a journalist, a writer. You know, I mean, that's what I would, mm -hmm. that's what I wanted to do when I was 12. <laughs> mm. You've definitely, I, I would say you've got a New York accent still, is that possible? Yeah, <laughs> except they don't think so in New York. Of course not, <laughs> to my untutored ears. <laughs> So tell me more, more about, I mean, the prisms, the, the longevity that you've been considering prisms from this moment, and is that 69 in Paris? Uh, no, that was, so when was that? Earlier. That wasn't 69, because I came here in 66. Okay. Uh, no, I, that was probably 63. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, 63, because then I went to Greece in 63. So it was 62, 63, mm. I started working with prisms. I mean, I started considering... Considering prisms, yeah. yeah and you're, con you're, you're very right actively right. considering prisms still. I think That's I lovely. made the first work with prisms really work is 66, mm -hmm. 65, 66. I no. still have it. Yeah, yeah. wonderful. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, I'm still working with prisms, but they've developed... And the funny thing is, in The Woman of War, I use the prism functionally for the first time in its function. Mm. And so that was 86, um, 20 years. Um, and I don't show it. You don't see it. Explain what you mean by using it for the function. Well, the prism is, a, is an instrument, right? So yeah. it's, it's, it's used to... Um, to bend light mm. or to reflect light yeah. or refract light. But often it's used to bend light, it's used to see. So I was using tank prisms. These are tank prisms. Which right. one's that? Both of them. They're, 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 from, a, they're from a tank. They're very the beautiful two prisms. prisms. Yeah. So they're ex-military stock. Ex -military. How old are these ones? Well, I made these, well, the, the lady, the, the, the feathered lady, and then he, she, the, the, the names, and uh, made one, the feathered lady in 79 and he, she in 1980. Mm -hmm. This is the first time I used fibers and feathers. Yeah, they're very serious prisms, Lillian. <laughs> Big prisms. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're a pair. They actually are the, um, uh, the what's they called? The um, periscope. The, the periscope. Yeah. The periscope prism in a tank. Yeah, that's how they see out. You, know, you look into one and you see out the other. Yeah. And 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 so I've never I didn't use them for that, of course. And they became heads. Prisms for me became heads, uh, mind head, and uh, <laughs> because it's the transforming, it's the element that transforms everything. Mm. Um, so, but in, in the Woman of War, I actually use it because a, a laser comes up from, is vertical, is laser is there, vertical, mm. and I want it to come out horizontally out of her head. Yep. And so I put a prism there. Makes sense, yeah. And it yep. goes through the prism and... Mm -hmm. Straight out. Yeah. Okay. Um, Woman of War was made, what year were you talking about? 86. 86, yeah. It's nice and early. You've been a real early adopter with technology, haven't you? Yeah. I mean, I've sort of used it right from the word go.
is your arsenal, my body, your defense. I've been armored by your love. You've toughened me like steel. I'm as hard as titanium. And your passions are my guns. Your lust, my poison. I've been armored by your love. I've been armored by your love. I've been blasted in your furnaces and poured into your molds to fit the image, the image. I'm the image of woman. A woman of war, a woman of war, I'm the image of woman, a woman of war. My eyes are laser beam, my mind As we're actually recording this, tell us about the power game a little bit. Just give us a description, because I really enjoy taking part in that. But as we're, as we're recording now, and I'm going to try and broadcast this, let's just give an idea of what we're talking about You're going to have to edit this. I mean, of not course. this, but the whole thing. No. <laughs> Who knows? <clears throat> well, the power game. As I said, the power game is, is, a, is a game, it's, it, but it's also a performance. And what I'm trying to do is to put people, to bring people, invite people, if you like, into a situation in which they explore their own feelings of, and, and beliefs and prejudices mm -hmm. and reactions mm -hmm. to the idea of power. 
the concept of power. Now, because they're with other people, because they're not alone, mm -hmm. they are also reacting against and for other people and other people's opinions of what power is. And you often see when people vote, right, that they will sort of hesitate, which way am I going to vote, which way am I going to vote, and then they see how other people vote and they go ahead and they vote with them, mm. you see, or not. But it is, basically, there's, there are a lot of variables. So in a sense, the more variables you create, you put into a situation, the more chaos you put into the situation, mm -hmm. right? And not random, but chaos. In other words, you can't, it's hard to follow, it's hard to analyze the situation. Okay. And I like situations that are difficult to analyze. Of course. You know, that, yeah. that, uh, that don't give you an easy, um, any easy answers. Mm -hmm. right? So there are no easy answers in the power game at all. There's just this, this uh, kind of play mm. uh, in which people are given the chance, really, to, to open up about power. Now, the cards themselves are very important, right? Because, this is, because this is set around Shemanda Fair. So, firstly, you've got a pack of cards. Yeah. The first thing was the pack of cards mm -hmm. that I invented in 1970. Okay. So, I, I, I made these cards. Mm -hmm. And the words were what I would call uh, personally random. In other words, they were, they were words that sort of came out of my unconscious. I didn't think about them. I didn't think this is a strong word, I'll put it in, or I need this to fit with that. Mm -hmm. I just had a, a whole pile of cards and, and, and I wrote, I would write down a word, put it away, write down another word, put it on top. And when the pack was full of words, I turned it over and wrote the other ones. I had no idea what was on the back of what I was writing. So in that sense, they mm. were random, okay. but they weren't random in a in, in a, like a like a random equation. Sure. Um, and and they were my words, so they obviously came out of my prejudices and my uh, preconceptions, mm -hmm. but not their connections, just the the words themselves. And when you play with them, you connect them, and that's the interesting thing, because what happens is. Um, People, uh, two, without going into the gambling aspect, two people uh, play against each other. So two people are given uh, two cards each. And as there's a word on each side of the card, of every card, mm -hmm. um, they have four words. Right? And so they have to ch they're asked to choose the most powerful word. And they put down the word they think most connects up with the idea of power. In other words, the most powerful word. Mm -hmm. um, the other person does the same. And then the table votes for which one is most powerful. Now, how this came about, um, when I first invented this game, I, I had three games that I played. One was power game, which I actually used to play just two people. You know, mm -hmm. we'd just play trumping each other and, okay. and, and saying why. Nice. Kept saying why, saying mm -hmm. why. And then, um, then I had another game which was called the poem game, uh, which was um, actually it was better to play it with two, more than two, maybe mm -hmm. three or four or five people, and you had more cards in your hand, and you tried to write a poem, but you, each person had only one turn. In other words, before the next person got to go. So you could never really write the poem. Your cards were kind of telling you you might be able to write. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so the poem, the poem that came out was this, if you like, committee poem, this poem written by a group. But, um, and a group that were kind of almost kind of trying to fit in with each other, you see, because there would always be something there on the table already, and then you'd be putting something. And you have to do it quite, quite quick, too. So you're, you don't have much time to think. Mm -hmm. And then, then you could turn it over and there was a poem nobody wrote. See? Beautiful. <laughs> I think that was a... a I can see the genesis of your, of like with the cut-ups and all of this, yeah. the stuff that came before that's kind of fed yeah. into this beautifully. And then, and then the, third, the third game I called the... I called them keys. And the third game was called uh, the oracular keys. And they were basically ask a question of the cards and then deal them out. And that's your answer. Nice. And so I had. So with the same deck of cards, the same, same words. Same deck, same words. Wonderful. Three games, 
And so the power game, what happened was I was asked in 1974 mm. by David Medalla yeah. uh, and John Duggar if I would uh, do a performance or a game or whatever, if I would contribute to a festival they had, which was called the Festival of Chilean Liberation. It was just after the Allende had been killed. Okay. And they were doing this festival and hoping to raise some money for this cause. And so I thought, well, what could I do? And I thought I'd do the power game. I thought it was, a, you know, it was meaningful for the occasion. And I wanted to do it in a way that was meaningful as a performance. And I had a friend called Alistair McIntosh who used to come and play it with me all the time. And he was a critic and a writer and a, and a kind of uh, oddball, you know, somebody quite unique. And um, and we, you know, I said, Alistair, why don't we do it together? You see, and uh, and so I said, he said, well, well, how do you want to do it, Lillian? And I said, well, my way, the way I'd like to do it is this gambling game, because I think if we involve money in it, we're going to make people take it seriously, mm. because people have an odd way of not taking words seriously. You know, they they think, oh. Words on cards. You certainly added a dimension, knowing that those chips were worth real money. Yeah. That was exciting. It was exciting, wasn't yeah. it? I mean, some people find it terrifying. Mm. But then you ask yourself, why are they so frightened of money? Yeah. You know, I mean, okay, you don't have it. So, you're not going to have it. <laughs> you know. How much are you going to lose? Yeah. You know? <laughs> It wasn't, uh, didn't seem to me to be such a big deal. But then again, my father was a gambler. Mm. And so I grew up with this gambling habit. In, in, in the was he a gambler, a professional gambler? No. No, just a no, gambler. He was an obsessive gambler. Okay. He gambled on everything. Yeah. You know, and uh, with everything. <laughs> so it was, it was, it was difficult because... Um, you know, he, he was careful sometimes, but then he would gamble it all away. But he also had, was quite lucky, and so sometimes he lived on his gambling. Yeah. We all lived on his gambling. Mm. You know. so. That really must have fed it. It must have fed quite dramatically into your work as an artist in many ways. I mean, you see it in the power game, yeah. quite obviously, but that undercurrent has to yeah. be there. I think the power game was really a, a, an homage to him. Yeah, you know. that makes sense. Yeah. You know. And I think he would have loved it, mm. you know. But he played Schmand Affair, that was his favourite game. Yeah, it's a lovely name, I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah. It, it just reeks of that James Bond 60s yeah. glamour. Well, it, he, he made it famous because he played it in one of, his, one of those films. Yeah. But I mean, I used to go and play it with my father. I mean, he, he always took me along because he th thought I was lucky. Ah. See? I brought luck. Yeah. My mother didn't, for example. Eek. But I brought luck. So he would take me with him and I sort of traipsing around casinos, uh, you know, at the age of 13, 14. In which ones this would be? Which Deep casino? on, you know. Uh, well, we were in Switzerland, so Annecy, Divonne, you know, the borders. In yeah. Switzerland, you couldn't gamble, so it had to be France. Okay. Or, or the Jockey Club in Paris. You know. mm -hmm. I, I, but I, I don't think I ever went there. I went to uh, Monte Carlo. Mm. Yeah. I actually gambled in Monte Carlo because he gave me his, you know. Yeah, you got some chips to go and play. And I remember it was a very interesting experience. It was really the only time I gambled because I didn't like it. Um, so I started playing with these chips, and I started winning. Mm. And you know, sort of beginner's luck. And and I, I've and never had that. <laughs> it, was, it was weird. And I started winning, and the you know the pile grows. Wow. And 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 as the pile grow, I I felt I I could feel inf inflation inside me. I, yep. I felt myself inflate, mm. and I would put out of quite a few chips, you know, sure. I could sort of throw them on the table, and then somebody would put a chip and I would look yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. really arrogantly You're around grown. Grown and think, um, think, why are you bothering to play with what shit? Mm, <laughs> you know? mm. And I realized that I was becoming horrible. Yes. You know? so that's interesting, as you were saying about power structures and people in power. I've been to Monte Carlo as well, went with uh, Edward St. Auburn, who wrote a novel from... The novel was about a novelist writing a novel in the cell privé in Monte Carlo. Right. And he took me there as this kind of thing. And just the energies in that room 
it's just so strong, isn't it? And it's the, strong, but it's it's it's, it's tacky, tacky, especially yeah, yeah. today. It's, it's the beating heart. It's of, really tacky. Yeah, beating heart. This kind of beast. This beast of of it, the emptiness. Those creatures. There's a huge emptiness. The huge emptiness, but dressed with this glamour. It's the. Uh, it's, it's, it's all in that same It's dressed as glamour, yeah. but glamour is often empty. Mm. Yeah. And of course, I mean that's the that's the very very quick flip side glamour. When I play with glamour in my work, it's yeah. the, the emptiness that's there. It's yeah. the, the game. We know that is there. There's no such thing as glamour. It's the very word glamour. Do you know? Do you know? It's it's Genesis glamour. Where does it come from? The word. What's um, the, uh, actually a, 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 a very clever yeah. use of language that you could glamour someone with a use of language. So and was used in witchcraft. Yeah. Witches were people that could use or spells or language yeah. to enchant and things. So, oh, so glamour comes from enchantment. Enchantment, yeah. Mm, that's and we know enchantment is an illusion, it's a thing that but the creatures that would be I saw creatures very cruel, these men and it was mostly men that I saw with the piles of chips going from table to table and putting on the bet just at the last second and then walking off to the oh, next yeah. table. Oh yeah, that's roulette. They've got a bet on it every moment, yeah. all the time, yeah. just all the yeah, time, because they have to be there. Yeah. Another thing, but yeah, still. That's right, they have to be into that into that game. We've got to be in that game. Yeah. You can even hear them saying, I've got to be in that game. And then they walk off because they've got to be in that game. Yeah. That game. No, yeah. It's, it's constantly. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the same with stock market. It's yeah. the same with a lot of uh, other, you know, things. Um, and some and people often have, uh, you know, I mean, my father had a very f f fantasies about it, which was quite quite curious. You know, he really built up fantasies, and he was a very generous player. Mm. He never he never beat somebody into the ground. He would let them win back, mm. lose back his money. In other words, he would, if he won a lot, then he would let other people give other people the chance, whereas most people, when they win a lot, leave. Just, yeah, you know. <laughs> you know, while they're winning. It actually yeah, makes, actually smart, makes sense, doesn't it? It does yeah. make sense. Yeah, well, he, he didn't have sense. <laughs> so, I mean, but I, but I did like that aspect, and um, so I wanted to honor it. But that is, it's also because I wanted people to concentrate. Mm. I wanted to put them on the spot. Well, well. Adding, adding money certainly yeah. added that there. And it's it money and power. power connected. Yeah. You can't really... And I, 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 I kind of, you know, I, I feel that if you're going to do something, do it. You yeah. know, do, it do it the right way. I had no idea when I, I came along that evening that it would actually be putting money in and taking yeah. part in it. It clicked it. It really yeah. did. So docu the documentation of that particular event, is that... you? I've, Oh, that we're, we're, I've, got the, I've got the documentation. We're just mixing the sound. I'm looking forward to that. Quite a nice film. That'll be interesting. You're in it. Great. <laughs> and I had you my talk about chaos. I've got um, documentation of my moustache then. Yes. <laughs> and you talk about chaos, which I is nice. Yes. Oh, good. I thought that was very nice, you know. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. I, I liked would. it. I yeah. talk about chaos. Yeah. Well, when you were interviewed, yeah. So we, I think we've used your interview. We, the interviews were not very good, mm. uh, but yours was quite good. Uh, I'm glad just, you added that. Yeah, in. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was you know, the, it wasn't so much what people said; it was how they how it was done. Oh, okay. And unfortunately, there wasn't. Uh, it's very difficult because you're not in a place. You don't have control of everything. Yeah, guess, you yeah. don't have control. That, well, that that in a way is part of it also. Yeah. And video, the whole video thing, the thing. I mean, the, what what it's become is it's it's grown really. It's developed because I've done it now a number of times. Mm. And what I what I've done is to is to add this video mm. element into it. So what happened? You're talking was, about videoing the table and the screen. Yeah, videoing. Yeah. Videoing the performance each time, but also. Having it projected live. It was very powerful. Yeah. Very there, powerful. it was amazing because they had a cinemascope screen. Yeah, sensational. Amazing. And what I, my, my, what I want to do is I want to do it in a place like, a, a, you know, obviously a museum isn't the best place to do it, but it would be great if, if, you could, if I could control it. Mm. Because what I could do is to have four walls, mm. and each wall is floor-to-ceiling video. That would be amazing. And then the table in the middle mm -hmm. with people playing. One of those videos is them, mm. but not all of them. That would be really amazing. So, you like the cons, so I'm going to show you the cons. Yeah. First. I'm just going to turn off the one.
That one's 69. That's the same time as that oh, one. Oh, I see. That's, that's one that's beautiful. Small, that's the one I didn't sell. Uh-huh. And those... Those two back there I made in 83. I'll show you this later. these beautiful revolving. Tell me about the pattern we're looking at on here. How does this... Well, uh, what... Oh, yeah, I didn't tell you earlier on about the columns. Mm. So they came out of a found piece uh, that I found that was dented. You know, it had one dented. Mm. And it had a kind of winding on it. And uh, I, I had it in the sun, so it's, you know, I can see this lovely line with a little, little zigzag. I thought, I thought that was beautiful. So it was like, and when I, oh yeah, I had it on a little, little turntable, not not motorized, but it was a little turn. So when I spun it, mm. it would dance. Nice. Yeah. I thought it's a dancing line of light, you see. And so I thought I must make myself a really dancing line of light. Mm. And so I started making these. That's how I started making them. Wonderful. So I made my own first, small and bigger, you know? Yeah. Uh, so this, these I made in 82. I mean, I started making them in sort of 60, 64, 65. You know? Is this wound or it's is this? It's wound with copper wire. Yeah. It's a whole Very, very fine. Thread. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can wind even finer. I've wound as fine as my hair. Oh my. Yeah. So you've, you've actually, and used two yeah. different, you see this hair? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine. Uh, and used two different uh, types of one copper, one nickel, uh, parallel, in mm -hmm. parallel. So it's always the copper, same nickel, copper, nickel. Yeah, two wires. That I did when I used to do it. I, I managed to get myself in through the back door at BICC in the 70s. And I used their, uh, it was called the Waveguide. It was the Waveguide production machine. Hmm. The Waveguide was before fiber optics. And it was supposed to be the new technology for communications. Um, and they were going to build all these waveguide tunnels all over the UK. And they built one from London to Cambridge. Really? And then they decided to go for fiber optics. Of course. And they just junked the whole 10-year project. And I bought the waveguide machine. <laughs> <laughs> Not the very complicated electronic one. I bought the simple experimental one. Okay, what was, what was the difference in waveguide and...? Well, the waveguide basically was taking copper wire, because, mm. you know, they used to use copper wire to send signals. Yeah, right? it's a telephone so, cable, it's yeah, copper it wire. Yeah, copper wire. Mm -hmm. So not anymore it isn't. Telephone cable now is fiber optics. Yep. But it used to be copper, right? So what they were going to... With, with waveguide, what they did was they took very, very fine copper wire, about like my hair, I mean really fine, mm. and they wound it on a on a steel mandrel yeah. uh, in one skin, which was what I was doing. But I was doing that. I never <laughs> saw this. I was doing it myself on sort of, um, mm. you know, in, in motor rewind shops. I would go to motor rewind. Could you wind this for me? You know. <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I had to find different ways of getting it done because, okay. uh, you know, because, uh, because I couldn't do it by hand. It's impossible. Um, so I did do one by hand, actually, did it, holding it and turning it with a motor. Oh, it was a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, and, um, but anyway, so I got in the back door there. Mm. And, oh, I want to tell you what it, what it looks like. So it's, it's, it's a... It's a it's a steel mandrel wound with, with this copper wire. You get one winding, a skin, right? Yeah. It's a perfect mandrel, right? mm -hmm. no, none of these lips. And, and then they, they would um, cover it with, um, with uh, resin, cover the, the, the copper with resin, mm -hmm. and then pull out the mandrel. Okay. So what you have is a tube with resin on top, and on the mm -hmm. inside it's coated it's a mirror coating, basically, of very, very fine copper wire. 
then they send microwaves down it. They create a vacuum inside it. Wow. Near vacuum. Uh-huh. And then send microwaves down. And the microwaves bounce off the copper like that. And you can send, you know, hundreds of millions of microwaves. And, you know, it, it'll take a huge amount of information. Okay. But you have to lay all this stuff. And that, yes. that was fraught with problems. And fiber optics, fiber you can just twist simpler, it, stick yeah. it down in a trench, and you're gone. Yeah, yeah. much simpler. So they went for it, although it was much more expensive at the time. This was cheap. Fiber optic was more expensive. No. Yeah. Yeah. At least it was new. Yes. So anyway, that's the story of, of the waveguide. And I used the waveguide to make these pieces. I don't know, not these, because these I already bought the machine. Mm. But uh, I made, I really made very fine pieces with the waveguide. I mm. used very, very fine. Did you use the word waveguide in, in the description? Yeah, I, I have one piece that's called waveguide. Okay. Uh, I thought know. it was familiar, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's 15 columns. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a piece about that, that wide, made out of 15 columns that are um, they're three inches diameter. Yeah, three inches diameter. And the, the wire is incredibly Beautiful. fine. It's tricky because I can't do it again. You know. But, um, but what I do, see these are made with perforated steel. I use a perforated steel tube, which gives you immediately a matrix of vibrations. Yes. And then I indent it uh, along, and then, you know, I change, I, you know, I, I make even further, you can see the you know, ribbons, yep. where I change the, the sphericity, basically, of the column. Mm -hmm. uh, and what's interesting, I mean, I've, I, these, these are, in these, you, you hardly see the what I've done. You see, you see it as a line of light. So what I want to see is the changes in form on a cylinder. This looks like a sound wave. I mean, just the way the light's reflecting off it, it looks like a sound wave. It looks sideways. It's what you'd see on an oscilloscope yeah. if we were talking. You'd yeah. see that there. That's right. I know. Beautiful. But what it is, is a form wave. Mm. <laughs> in other words, it's, it's showing you with light every change on that cylinder. Mm -hmm. yeah. So every single change to the form is there. And it, not only the change, but the relationships between them. Yeah, it's very it's hypnotic. The speed, the speed it's very of hypnotic it. too. See, you can see the speed changes along the, mm. the length of it. But it doesn't, there's no, it's constant speed. Mm. So it's just, uh, you know, how many marks there are and how close the marks are mm -hmm. will, will give you a sense of velocity, you know. So it's frequency becoming velocity, which is really interesting mm. actually, when you think about it. So it's frequency becoming velocity, which is really interesting mm. actually, when you think about it. So it's frequency becoming velocity, which is really interesting. So it's frequency becoming velocity, which is really interesting. You have been listening to Isotopica here on Resonance 104.4 FM. My name is Simon Tishko and today's very special guest and detour fellow traveller was Lillian Lin and details of today's episode and all the other episodes etc etc can be found on my website being www.theculture.net and there are links there to Lillian's website which is lillianlin.com I hope you tune in, same time, same place, same amazing Resonance 104.4 FM International Worldwide Art Radio Station for further Sonic Detours. And in the meantime, have a very pleasant week and perhaps catch you on the repeat whenever that appears. Thanks for listening. This is Simon Tishko signing out. Bye for now.
This programme was brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. Visit our website at resonancefm.com to hear our vast range of original 24-7 broadcasts. Resonance is a not-for-profit broadcast platform and relies on public support. If you like what you've heard, make a secure donation at resonancefm.com.